Um, good morning, everyone. Uh, as Jackie said, my name's Paul. Uh, I'm married to the lovely Alice, and she's not here this morning. She's leading worship over in, uh, over in Fordingbridge. Uh, I think I've mentioned with you guys before that um, quite often prior to preaching on a Sunday, tidy myself up so I don't look quite so much like a builder. Yesterday was the obligatory, okay, let's go and have a haircut, you know, have a little bit of a shave, not too much, don't want to be too clean shaven. Um, and so I, uh, I came back yesterday with Bertie from having a haircut. Alice's first words, have they got a trainee? <laughs> Followed by, wow, they've really emphasised the shape of your head there, haven't they? <laughs> I don't think that was meant as a compliment. Um, and then this morning again, yeah, they really have emphasised the shape of your head. I was like, okay, thank you. And you notice, you know, your forehead grows as you get older as well for some reason. So we're going to look this morning at the final one of our fruits of the Spirit, which is uh, self-control. So it's early evening. The King's Bakery has just been closed down for the night. The last pie has been taken out of the oven, and the owners of the bakery, they're off to bed. And then later on in the evening, there's a shout. And that shout is, fire, fire! And the fire's spreading rapidly. By the time the morning comes, 300 houses have been burnt to the ground. So in order to create a fire break, more houses are pulled down. It fails. More drastic action is required. So gunpowder is brought in and rows and streets are knocked down to create a fire break. Eventually, four days later, the fire is extinguished. Now, for those of you who know, that was the Great Fire of London. Only one-fifth of London remained after the fire. So fire, in itself, is a massively powerful utility. It's used in almost every home in some aspects. It could be for cooking, it could be for heating. And when we lose control of fire, the impacts can be huge. And it's just as true with all of us here. We, as humans, all have the ability to do amazingly good things, but also amazingly awful things. We're a mix of strong and powerful emotions and desires. And to get the best out of ourselves and these emotions and desires, we have to learn how to use them correctly. And hopefully this morning we'll learn that the best way to do this is with the grace of God and using the power of the Holy Spirit. So as I mentioned, today we're going to learn about the final fruit of the Spirit, self-control. Now I like to think of self-control, if you look at the list of the fruits of the Spirit, as the crescendo. It's the final cymbal clash at the piece of music, the drum solo at the end, the one that leaves you with something to think about, something to ponder. So the fruits of the Spirit are listed in Galatians 5, 22 to 23, and I'll just read that. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. So as I mentioned, I don't think it's coincidence that self-control has been left to the end. 
And that's not because it's an afterthought. I think that's very much the opposite. It's there to remind us that we also need to look after and care for ourselves as much as for others. We need to protect ourselves from our sinful desires. So when we look at the fruits of the Spirit, there's a pattern. Love is towards others. Joy with and for others. Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. They're all outward emotions towards other people. Self-control is the only one that mentions self, and it is for one's self. All of those others have a bearing on how we treat other people. You can pretend to be happy. You can pretend to be joyful. You can put on a happy, loving face. You can have your, you know, your Sunday smile. But if you don't have self-control, at some point you can't pretend. That will come out. So when we think of good leaders, we think of those who exhibit self-control in all aspects of their life, those who are measured in their approach to things. So if you're in business, good business leaders need to have self-control. They shouldn't be the ones at the work Christmas party or the summer barbecues who are kind of letting themselves down. They're drinking too much, they're gambling, they're flirting with the staff, or they're causing a scene. And we read in 1 Timothy 3, Chapter 2. This is what it says. Sorry, 1 Timothy, chapter 3, verse 2. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle not quarrelsome, and not a lover of money. So being self-controlled is obviously a key leadership characteristic. And I don't want anyone here to discount yourself as a leader. Each of us here, in some way, we are all leaders. You may not be the head of a company, the teacher of a class, or the captain of a team, but we each lead in our own individual ways. We each have friends or family colleagues who we're an example to and who we interact with on a daily basis. And we need to be self-controlled and disciplined to model Christ's love to these people. If we look at the disciples, they were not by trade leaders. They were basically a bunch of working class misfits who had various backgrounds and they ended up leading on a massive scale. I don't think any of those disciples would have put themselves in a leader category when they started off in their, uh, you know, in, their, in their work. So just never count yourself out as being a leader. So when I looked at self-control, I kind of thought there's two different areas to this, and I'm going to split it into those two areas. There's emotional control, and there's physical control. So firstly, let's have a look at emotional control. And as we do this, there's one kind of key point that I want us to take from this. And that is that with our emotions, it's important to have an emotional response, not a emotional reaction. So a response is something that is thought out and considered, and a reaction tends to be immediate and off the cuff. When we're dealing with emotional issues, we can be quick to fire off a reaction. 
When we're having that discussion at home with our other half or friends or colleagues, which sometimes gets heated, we can be very quick to say something which we wouldn't say had we stepped back and thought about it. And that's the difference between a reaction and a response. And the great thing about having, uh, having children, young children, is they can, um, they can be great examples for, um, for, for preaching, you know. So, in our house, uh, we, we live in the countryside, and uh, it gets dirty and dusty, and so downstairs in our house, we have laminate flooring, um, which is great for cleaning, um, if I cleaned it, uh, and uh, two dogs as well running around. Um, and Bertie, he's a six-year-old, he loves to wear his tracksuit trousers and his socks. And he loves to run around, knee slide across the floor, you know, you can see how far he can go. Alice tells me he's reenacting Patrick Swayze in Dirty Dancing or something. <laughs> I, not, something that, not something that I've seen myself, but there we go. And I say to him, Bertie, stop. At this point, he's got a broken arm. He broke his arm. Mate, you've got a broken arm. Do not do that. You, you know, the tables and chairs have got wooden legs. They're hard. Don't do it. Next thing I hear, an almighty scream, loud crying. We all know what's happened. He slid straight into the, uh, into the table and chairs. My reaction, Bertie, what are you doing? I've told you not to do that. Didn't you listen to me? Now you've really, really hurt yourself. My emotions have just come out in an instant reaction. I've raised my voice to him. I've lost control. My anger at Bertie from not listening to me, it comes out. My frustration that Bertie's hurt himself, and most importantly of all, he's screaming so loud the neighbour has come round to see if everything's all right. <laughs> There's embarrassment there as well. Alice comes in, sweeps Bertie up, massive mummy cuddle, hugs him tight, calms him down, and I'm still angry. Now, my, res my response should have been what Alice did. As it was, I reacted. I reacted with anger. I didn't have control of my, of my emotions. And when we look at John chapter 11, verses 1 to 45, I'm not going to read it. Uh, we are modelled how to control and re respond to emotional situations by Jesus. Now, this passage is when Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. And as I say, we don't have time to go through the whole of the passage now. But just a little bit of background. Jesus is emotionally invested in this family. Lazarus' sister is Mary, who anointed Jesus' feet with the oil. And we read in the scriptures that Jesus loves this family. Now Jesus is away, and he learns that Lazarus is ill. And he has been called personally by Mary and Martha to come to Lazarus. And Jesus' response, this illness does not lead to death. It's for the glory of God, so the Son may be glorified through it. Now, a few days later, Jesus is informed that Lazarus has died. And at that point, he and his disciples return to, return to Mary and Martha. And Martha greets Jesus with a group of Jewish mourners. And on seeing how filled with grief Jesus' friends are there, he is filled with emotion and he weeps. And at the same point, he is questioned by some of those Jews there 
and they are blaming him for the death of Lazarus. They are saying to him, you could restore the sight of a blind person. Had you have been here, had you have not been away, you could have saved this man's life. You are to, you are to blame for his death. Now, this is an emotional moment for Jesus. One of his friends has died. He is being blamed for the death. His response in that moment could have been to just react, to move, remove the gravestone, bring Lazarus back to life like that. Click of the fingers. That could have been a reaction from Jesus. He doesn't do that. He doesn't shout at them. He doesn't argue with them. His response is different. It is calm and it is measured, and learning comes from it. He prays before doing anything else to God the Father, and those prayers are heard by all those around him. And then moments later, the command is given for Lazarus to come out. And Lazarus walks out of the tomb, and he is restored to health and to his family. Jesus is modeled there, the perfect Example of a response to an emotional situation, not a reaction. So may we also be able to respond with thought and grace in times of emotional stress and not react in anger. I just want to encourage us all here this morning as well that self-control is a gift. And it's a gift that, we can, that can be gained if we ask God to help us. He will. So some of us are naturally calmer in tense situations, but we all have the ability to grow in this gift. I like to think of the fruits of the Spirit. You know, they all come from seeds and they grow. They don't stop. They just keep on growing. And that's the same with the fruits of the Spirit and the same with self-control. It can grow. And sometimes emotional stress might be due to physical dangers that are around us. And in these times, we need to be calm and not panic. I'm sure many of us remember, not sure the year, but uh, Captain Sully, who was in charge of a plane full of passengers, and it took off from JFK Airport in New York. As the plane was taking off, it hit a bird, and it took out one of the engines. The plane was going down. This was after 9-11 in New York. Now, Captain Sully had been a pilot for years. He was a military pilot and then uh, went into the commercial, commercial pilot. Uh, and at that point in time, he was facing the loss of his life, the loss of the life of everybody on board that plane. There was panic going on. He remained calm and was able to bring that plane down on the River Hudson. Everybody survived. Now, that calmness in the emotional situation there was a skill that he had honed over years. Now, I don't know if uh, Captain Sully had a personal faith. I know he grew up in a Methodist church, uh, and that was his background, but he never mentions a, a faith when he talks about it. But he had learnt to control his emotions in times of stress, and that allowed him to save all those lives on that day. Now, we don't need 30 years of training to get to, that, to get to there. We have a shortcut. We are able to experience the same control in times of physical and emotional stress just by praying and asking our Lord to help us and to help us to develop that skill as well. And as we've learned, 
And not surprisingly, Jesus had complete control over his emotions. If we're quick to react and slow to, slow to respond, and this is a pattern that keeps popping up, then we need to know that our God is a gracious God. He knows that we will fail. He knows that we will promise to do one thing, but yet our outcome will be different. But he doesn't hold that against us. He literally picks us up off the ground, sets our feet on the correct path, and says, try again. I love you. And I just want to add in here, this is you know, something which I've struggled with in the past as well, and that's almost being in too much control of our emotions. And you know, in correct situations, and by that I mean when we're worshipping and when we're fellowshipping with our brothers and sisters, we need to be open to the works of the Spirit. And as I say, this is something that I know that I've struggled with. I continue to struggle with. So in order to enjoy the fullness of the gifts of the Spirit and fully benefit from all that the Holy Spirit has to offer, we need to be able to discern when to let go and allow the Spirit to use us and to use our emotions. Especially relevant in times of worship and fellowship with our brothers and sisters. By being too controlling in these times, we're stopping the work of the Spirit. And we're not fully benefiting from all that the Spirit has to offer us. Let's not forget, the Spirit has been fully, freely given to us, and we need to be open to accepting it. Open to feeling those emotions that the Spirit wants us to feel. Now, this can have physical consequences as well as emotional. Physically praying out in tongues, crying, crying, you know, shaking whatever the physical response is that the Spirit is leading you into. And this is godly and scriptural. It's modeled to us. When we look at the experience of the disciples and the early followers that they had in the upper room in Acts 2, when the Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost, the disciples and all the followers in that room, they were talking in tongues and languages which the other foreigners could all understand. So let's move on to physical control. So firstly, I just want to highlight that boundaries, rules, regulations that are there in the Bible, they're not there to stop our enjoyment or to stop us living a life to the full. They're there to increase our enjoyment. And with a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, we can live life to its full. Let's look at freedom. You can't have freedom if there's nothing to be free from. If there's no rules or no boundaries, there can be no freedom. And that in turn means there's no need for self-control. So today's society is telling us that's what we should be heading for, complete freedom. And when we think of physical self-control, we probably mostly think of areas of denying ourselves something, denying our body of what it desires, not doing something that may cause us harm or also not doing something that will cause us pleasure. We think of it in terms of not taking part in activities, in refraining from having that extra drink, in not taking those drugs or not watching that film, self-control in terms of not scrolling through your social media account again. 
Self-control to stop you buying that extra item of clothing, to stop you placing that bet, to not eat that extra slice of cake. All these things are going to be relevant to us in some way or another, and we'll all have a struggle with them. So why do we need to be disciplined, and why do we need to be self-controlled? So when I was 12, a couple of years ago, I was woken up at about 2.30 in the morning, and I was woken up by a repeated dull thud on my bedroom window. And this was then followed by someone shouting, help, help, help. So we lived in a semi-detached house, so um, yeah, they could reach out and tap on my window. So I got out of bed and went to the window, and my neighbor was leaning out the top of his bedroom window, there's a theme here, um, and he was banging on my window with his pillow. And I looked out, and there was smoke billowing out from the downstairs of his house. And he was like, can you call the fire brigade? My house is on fire. I went downstairs. Um, and went, Do you remember the phones? With a... Yeah? So after about a minute, I'd managed to dial 999. Um, anyway, I called, called for the fire brigade, and they, you know, they were on their way. Uh, so I came back upstairs, woke my parents and said, next door's house is on fire. Uh, they were slightly more panicked than me because I just went back to bed. Um, uh, and anyway, you know, so, so what happened there? What's the relevance of that? Why am I telling you this? Well, that fire there, that was started from a tiny little ember. My neighbor smoked and he hadn't quite put his cigarette out on the sofa Boom, it was just before Christmas, and he lost everything. He lost all his possessions. By the grace of God, our house was absolutely fine. Um, but his was completely ruined. Um, and that was, that was from one small ember, one tiny little thing. And it's the same with self-control. If we let one thing slip, the consequences can be massive. And if it's something that we know that we struggle with, whether that's you know, alcohol, drugs, finance, pornography, it has the potential to take over everything and completely destroy us. And again, I come back to this point, it is not the end, because with Jesus and the Holy Spirit, we can take back control. If you feel like you've lost control in an area of our life, I can assure you that control can be regained. And the world will tell you that what you need to do is you need mindfulness, you need meditation, and you need to set some goals. And yeah, those things can help. But again, with the Holy Spirit, he can help us and he can elevate our self-control to another level. We just need to ask. When Jesus was in the desert, he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. Now, I'm not recommending that we try and do that. Although a small fast is a good idea to refocus ourselves, we can use those times when we would have been eating to be praying and studying. And alongside fasting, Jesus spent time in prayer and talking to his heavenly Father. Now during this time, Jesus' self-control, his physical self-control was being tested. Remember, this is the Son of God. At any time, he could have called upon a legion of angels to put on a massive banquet for him. He was being tested when he was physically at his weakest. He was at his lowest ebb in energy, his lowest ebb in mental reserves. And yet he was still able to demonstrate 
that amazing God-given self-control. And when he was tested by the devil, he was able to recite scriptures in order to resist and ward off those temptations. And again, that's not something that's just set aside for Jesus. We all here have the ability and are able to access this level of self-control. I come back to it, we need to pray and we need to ask the Holy Spirit to help us. We are able to learn the scriptures and we're all able to take these things to heart and they will help us in times of temptation. So we need self-control to dedicate ourselves to learning God's word. And I'm talking to myself here as well. And that will help us when we are tempted. In Isaiah 41, verse 10, we read of God's promise to us. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you, and I will uphold you with my righteous hand. And again in Isaiah chapter 43 and verse 2. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. Now, I know personally of people who have been in the depths of addiction. And this addiction has had complete control over their lives. It has been destroying them and their family. And they've cried out to God in those moments of despair. And they've asked God for the chains of addiction to be broken. And God has done that in an instant like that. From the moment that prayer was spoken the desire to continue with that destructive behavior was taken away. And that has remained. I mean, we're talking 40 years, that has remained. Now, I know that's not the same for everyone. For some people, it's a longer and slower road. But I want that to be an encouragement that with God, it is possible to regain physical self-control. So we all know that life is a marathon, not a sprint. And that's the one running analogy that I'm allowing myself for this one. (laughs) So little changes day by day, week by week, year by year, can have a massive impact over a period of time. And now these changes, they can be for the good or they can be for bad. Just one more drink on a Saturday night or... Let's have a drink on a Thursday night because it's almost a Friday. Oh, and let's have a drink on a Wednesday night because it's kind of the middle of the week. And then, oh, I did really well today. Do you see the pattern here? One little thing. Or when I'm at work, I'll just utter one swear word, you know, just throw it into conversation with my, with my colleagues. Leads on and on and on. And before you know it, you've got a potty mouth. Now, I was thinking about using an analogy of, uh, of speeding, but the cost of uh, fuel these days, I don't think it's relevant. And then um, <laughs> if you've got an electric car, you're just trying to drive so slowly that you, you, know, you see how many miles that you can regain, lift and coast, lift and coast. Um, so well, that one wasn't... Yeah, I didn't put that one in. So what about the positive changes that we can make? 
to help ourselves with self-control. Ones that will have a big impact over a long period of time. I just want to say that one small positive decision can have a massive impact. Just imagine this. This is what you say to yourself. I'm going to read my Bible every day. And because I'm practicing self-control, I'm going to get up five minutes earlier to ensure this happens. And because I'm practicing self-control, I'm going to go to bed five minutes earlier so that I don't lose any sleep. Oh, and because I'm practicing self-control, I'll not scroll, scroll through my mobile phone after 9 p.m. And that will ensure that I go to bed five minutes earlier. Oh, and because I'm practicing self-control, I will remove one of my social media platforms to make it easier for me to put my phone down. And because I'm practicing self-control, I haven't got that social media platform, so I don't need to take a photo of my tea or the dog upside down on the couch. Because <laughs> I haven't got a platform to post it on. So one decision that you decided to make of reading your Bible has had a knock-on effect. You set aside five minutes, God has provided you with 30 minutes by removing all those other obstacles. So self-control, it's not a negative fruit. And that's how the world would have us see it. Self-control, I believe, is most importantly about self-care. Ironically, the world that we live in now is very much about self-care. It's just not about self-control. And the two are linked. If we're controlled in what we do, we live the best life. Again, if I exercise self-control and get, go to bed early, make sure I get eight hours sleep, I feel, feel better. If I exercise self-control and don't have an extra drink or an extra pudding, I feel better. If I exercise self-control and close my laptop and go home from work when I say I will, my family appreciate it and we all feel better. If I exercise self-control and go for a walk, no more running, I will feel better. If I exercise self-control and do those exercises the physio has asked me to do, my body gets stronger and I feel better. Can we see a pattern here? Self-control, but also self-care. The two go hand in hand. And if I exercise self-control and I pray every morning, my relationship with my Heavenly Father improves. If I exercise self-control and I read my Bible every day, my knowledge and my relationship improves. If I exercise self-control and I go to church, my community grows, my knowledge grows, my relationship with my Heavenly Father grows. And if I exercise self-control and work hard on my relationships with my Heavenly Father, my self-control grows. Uh, worship team, would you come up? So do you know what the greatest example of self-control was? Well, we read about it in the Bible. When Jesus, the Son of God, the man who prayed to his Father in heaven, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will but yours be done. He then allowed himself to be sacrificed on that cross for our sins.
For our lack of self-control, he was sent to the cross. At any moment, he could have stepped down and said, no, I'm not doing this. He chose to hang there and to die so that we might have life and have it to its fullest and to be with him in eternity. So if you're here this morning and you don't know anything about the love of God, come and speak to myself or Paul or Jackie or someone that you know and trust here. We'd love to share with you more. Now as we close, I just want to go back to a point I made earlier about the grace of God. If like me you try and you fail and you try and you fail and you trial and you fail, you set yourself a goal to beat that addiction, to delete that social media account, to stop watching harmful programs and you come up short, just remember our God is so full of grace that he picks us up. He sets us on the path and says go again. And if we ask him with a sincere heart, he will give us more self-control. God just wants to bless us, and he is so gracious that no matter how many times we stumble, he wants to see our fruit grow, and he'll enable us and help us to do it. Don't beat yourself up when you fail. Remember, our God has forgiven us And therefore, this is something we don't do. We should also forgive ourselves for the mistakes that we make. When Jesus died on that cross, it was so that we could be forgiven. And we are forgiven. And in turn, we forgive others. But as important as that, we must forgive ourselves as well for the wrongs. You'd forgive someone else for shouting at you or falling back into addiction. But remember to forgive yourself as well. And I want to pray for us all today as we bring this to a close. We just remember that Jesus' self-control has given us eternal life. Father, I just thank you for for sending your son to die on that cross, Lord. I thank you for the amazing example that he is, Lord. Lord, and I just pray for anyone here this morning, Lord, anyone who feels like they're lacking in that self-control, Lord, I just pray that you you would fill them with your grace, Lord, fill them with your Holy Spirit, Lord, and I would just pray that they would be able to to just pick themselves up, Lord, and go again, Lord, and that that they would ask for your help in doing so, Lord, I pray. Lord, I just thank you for your Holy Spirit who will enable us to do that, Lord. I thank you. And I thank you, Lord, that you are a God who forgives and a God who loves. Amen.